All right, let's do it. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke chapter 24. And one of the things that is true of who we are as a church is we systematically preach through books of the Bible. Um, We are about to go through the book of Daniel, and we are super, super uh, stoked, excited about preaching through this book of the Bible. You're going to find that it's not just a historical uh, record of things that have happened in the past. You're going to see as we unpackage the book of Daniel how relevant and how God is wanting to speak to us specifically here in Chino and I think his church worldwide. And so my encouragement to you as we get into Daniel next week, listen, this is one of those series where it's like Star Wars. Like you, if you miss part of it, you're going to be like, who is this and why is she calling herself Skywalker all of a sudden? I don't understand this kind of stuff. But So my encouragement to you is be a part of every Sunday morning, all right? And Because what's going to happen is going to build and it's going to build and as you, you, it's going to be like going up steps and you're going to see a bigger picture. You're going to see, you're going to add to your understanding of what God's calling us to do. You guys are distracting me. What is happening, this nonsense up here this morning? All right, I'm the only one distracted. All right. Anyways, we're in the last chapter of Luke, and here's what we've said every Sunday morning, and here's who we are as a church. We are a church that wants to make much of Jesus in everything, everywhere we go, everything we do. And one of the ways that we make much of Jesus is that we've said that we are called to be disciples of Jesus and we're called to make disciples of Jesus. And if we, this morning, are saying, I'm called to be a disciple, then we have to ask ourselves, what does a disciple look like? What what does a disciple do? Et cetera, et cetera. And we've come to the conclusion that a disciple of Jesus follows Jesus, listens to Jesus, gives their heart to Jesus, and whatever Jesus says... We say yes, whatever, whether it's easy or whether it's hard or whether it's sometimes in between, whether sometimes we just have to trust that something he said in the past and we keep walking through the power of the Holy Spirit or whether it's a word that he gives us like this morning, hey, be encouraged, I want to give you breakthrough in, what, in what's happening in your life. It doesn't matter. We're saying, Jesus, we want to be your disciples and we want to follow you and we'll do whatever you say. And we have to ask ourselves, even in the book of Luke, to the last chapter in chapter 24, what is a disciple of Jesus? And so we're going to see this morning that there's some objective implications of what it means to follow Jesus and to call ourselves today, not just Christians, but that word Christian means to, to, to follow Jesus and be his disciple. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke chapter 24. We're going to read the last portion here, verses 36 through 53. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. If you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles around the auditorium. Those are our gift to you, and it'll also be up on the screen. This is what the Word of the Lord says. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit or a ghost, some of your translations might say. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? Why do, you doubt, why, does doubt, why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet. That is, I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have, a fle- have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Verse 40. And when he had said these, 
said this, he showed them his hands and feet, and while they, were, they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it, and he ate before them. So just push pause there for a second. So what's happening? Remember last week, there's two disciples. They're walking on this road called toward Emmaus. And um, Jesus has been, he's been, he died, and he's, now he's been risen from the grave. And Jesus review, uh, uh, hides himself from these two disciples as they're walking along. And they're having this conversation. Haven't you heard about this man named Jesus? We thought, we hoped, we, we'd put our trust in you know, what we saw and what we heard. And we hoped he might be the Messiah. And then Jesus reveals himself to these two disciples. And they're like, whoa! And this is where we get this. The Lord has risen indeed when we say that every Easter. When I say, the Lord is risen, and everyone goes, he is risen indeed, we say that back. That's where that portion of Scripture, because now all of a sudden, the truth of the risen Christ has dawned upon them. And what they hope for, what their misconceptions, what their subjective understanding of who Jesus was has now been laid flat and clean and presented before them truly who he is. He's not just a political Messiah who's come to rescue them from the oppression of the Romans, but he's a spiritual Messiah. And now we see that he reveals himself to the rest of the disciples in physical form, and they still cannot totally understand it. It says they're overwhelmed and they're disbelieved because of their joy and their fear. All of a sudden, they're confronted with this resurrected Christ, and it's standing right there in the flesh, eating broiled fish. Mmm, yummy, super great, right? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 44, then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their mind to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer, speaking of himself, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses everybody say witnesses of these things and behold i'm sending the promise of my father upon you speaking of the holy spirit but stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high verse 50 then he led them out as far as bethany and lifting up his hands he blessed them while he blessed them he parted for them and was carried up into heaven and they worshiped him and returned to jerusalem with great joy and we're continuing in the temple, blessing God. All right, that's the end. We, we've done so well, guys. We've taken, how long have we gone through the book of Luke? A year, we've gone through it systematically, and here we come to the end. And I'm saying, Southlands Chino, let's ask ourselves, as we did at the beginning of the gospel, as we did in the middle of the gospel, and now we do at the end of the gospel, what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Jesus helps us here. He says, and why I had you guys repeat it, he says, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of these things. Now, other portions of the gospel, the other synoptic gospels will say the same story, the same commission to his disciples in different ways. You'll see the most famous one in Matthew chapter 28 where he says, all authority has been given to me. What? So that I'm going to give it now to you that you will go and you will baptize all nations, teaching them to obey how to become disciples. 
And Luke's gospel here says something similar. He's telling us, if you're a disciple of me, you are now, I'm commissioning you now as a witness. The thing is, what does it mean to be a witness of Jesus? We all have subjective ideas of what it means to be a witness. Some of us, when I say, okay, guys, oh, Kelly's preaching on being a witness. Kelly's preaching on evangelism this morning. That means that i got to figure out some way to be able to preach the gospel. And I have to have, like, gospel sermon. So, like, tomorrow at, no, it's not tomorrow. We don't have work tomorrow. Woohoo! All right. But Tuesday, when we go back to work, and we're sitting in our cubicle, or we're ringing up the the scanner barcode thing. I don't know. I'm trying to get eluding if you're a clerk at my mind. Okay, so whatever you're doing, it doesn't matter. You're trying to think to yourself, okay, Kelly's encouraging us this morning. I got to be an evangelist. That means I got to figure out how to like say this in all these good ways. No. See, the question is, if you're a witness, what are you a witness to? And Jesus gives us some objective things that he says, if you're my disciple, you're a witness. He's going to give us some really easy, practical things, what it means to be a witness. And really, guys, what it is to be a witness of Jesus is just to be a witness of the gospel. It's a witness of the gospel, okay? So what we're going to do today is we're going to double-click on this this morning. If it was blue, underlined, like something in your computer, we're going to double-click on it, and we're going to look at some points of what it means to be a witness of Jesus. You ready? All right. Some of us are ready. I'm mostly ready, I think. Let's do this. Number one. You'll see here what Luke tells us, how Jesus said what to be a witness, is that one that Jesus suffered and he died. Jesus suffered and he died. And this is part of the gospel, right? So I think some, there are some beautiful truths that as we say, I'm trying to witness, one, we're witnessing to ourselves, we're reminding ourselves the truths of the gospel, but also we're witnessing to those around us. And one of the major things that we cannot exclude when we're telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ is that he suffered and he died. We're going to celebrate, not too long from now, a thing called Good Friday. And Good Friday is the day that we remember when Jesus suffered on the cross, willingly went to the cross, and he died, and he went through major pain and major suffering. And we go, how can this day be good? Why do we call it good? Well, when we start to understand the nature and the reason behind the suffering of Jesus, we say with all passion and with all praise and all joy and all adoration and gratitude, what a good and glorious day that Jesus suffered on the cross for my sins. And so let's, let's see how the writer of Hebrews talks about this suffering. It says this in chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. It says, Since then... We have a great high priest, speaking of Jesus, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. You say, Kelly, why is it good news that Jesus suffered? Why is that part of the gospel? Because, see, friends, Jesus is not a God who sits on a throne, aloof and distant from us, and not able to sympathize with our humanity. See, Jesus is a God, fully God, but he's fully man. 
And in his manness, if we can put that as a word, in his manness, he subjected himself to all the same stuff that you and I go through every single day. Every single day. So, when we say Emmanuel, God with us, that's just not this idea of a cute little baby who came some 2,000 years ago who was wrapped up in swaddling cloth and we sentimentally like to think there was no poo-poo smells in the barn. No, see, the reality was that he came and he subjected himself to humanity and all of the things that come along with that. And so, friends, Jesus knows. Jesus knows. Jesus knows how you feel. Jesus knows the struggle, the pain, the things that uh, Natalie was encouraging us that he wants to bring breakthrough in. He knows the struggle before the breakthrough. He knows exactly where you're at. And friends, that is something that we have to be witness to. That has to be something that's alive in us. That has to be something that we live out daily to remind ourselves the truth of the gospel that Jesus subjected himself to the same pain and suffering that you and I go through. Now here is even the more beautiful portion of the suffering of Jesus. Let's continue looking at it. If you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 53. And you'll see thousands of years before, a man named Isaiah prophesies about a Messiah who will come. And he says this, 53 verse 10, Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him. The him is Jesus. And cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offering and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. This is speaking of Christ. And it's speaking of the Father who delighted, the Bible said, in crushing Jesus. What in the world are we talking about here? Are we saying that God is this big grumpy ogre in heaven like Zeus waiting to like zap us with a lightning bolt and he just couldn't get his his anger satisfied enough so he took it out on his son. He just wanted to punish him so he could feel better about himself. No. See, God is completely holy and just. And in his holiness, he cannot turn a blind eye to sin. He does not wink at our sin and go, okay, I'll let that one go. No, because God is completely holy, holy, holy. The Bible says about himself, he's other than us. He is pure. In order for us to have a relationship with God, we have to be perfect. That's impossible, isn't it? I know it's impossible. Just in the past 10 minutes, I have stumbled over my words. It's impossible. It's impossible. The moment you leave this room, you're going to have a thought that enters your mind that is not sanctified by the Holy Spirit. That just happens, right? Because we're fleshly. If it's impossible to come to God who demands us to be perfect, then what hope do we have? Well, friends, we have a Savior who not just suffered the same things that we suffer, but subjected himself to the suffering of the wrath of God against sin. And he poured it on Christ. And Christ didn't just go, okay, I'll, I'll just unwillingly do this. Jesus willingly went to the cross and suffered so that you and I can be, be presented as perfect before the Father. So he doesn't just suffer and understand how we feel, but he also suffers himself to the subject and the will of the Father. And in that, God says, my 
wrath against sin is completely paid for, is completely, what we would say, satisfied in Jesus. Completely expunged. Completely. You're witnesses of these things, friends. And so my reminder to you again, this should be a witness that's alive in you. So everywhere you're going, whoo-hoo-hoo, Jesus suffered. Yes. He suffered for me. Yes. And he suffered for the world. Yes. And then it says he died. He suffered and he died. And here's, how is this good news? Oh, you have a Savior who's dead? Yes, we have a Savior who died. Dot, 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 not the end of the story. Well, why is that good news? Because when he died, death and sin died with him. All of the junk you've ever done, and all of the junk you will ever do, and I say junk, that's sin, if you didn't understand that. All of your hot mess, what God did is he took your hot mess, and he put it on Jesus, and, he, and then when Jesus died, that hot mess died with him. And not only your hot mess, but death itself. We're going to get it. Okay, I'm not going to get ahead of myself. You know, one of the most beautiful things about the death of Jesus, the Bible says that when Jesus died, there was this veil that was in a temple. And this veil was like four or five inches thick. If you could think of all the seamstresses in here, all the knitters, all the sewing-ish kind of people who like working with tactile fabrics and all those kind of things. That's a word. So all of you all got together and said, what's the thickest kind of thing we could make? And you came up with this thing. It would be a curtain five inches thick. You ever seen, there was these guys back in the 80s, if you're a Christian back then, called the Power Team. And what they would do is they would get phone books. And they're all roided out. They look kind of like me, right? And they all roided out. And they would grab these phone books and they'd be sweating and veins would be popping out of their neck and they would rip them in half and you'd be like, oh! And they would say, I can do all things through Christ. They would totally take it out of context. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, see, Jesus, they got nothing on Jesus. Because the moment he dies, this veil was torn. And what, what's the significance of this? See, behind this veil was considered the presence of God. And you weren't allowed to go in there because you were imperfect. And when Jesus died, the veil from top to bottom was split in two. Something supernatural happened. No power team dude was in there. It was the power of God. <laughs> Ripped it down. What does that mean for you and me? Why is this good news? Why, is, why are we witnesses to this? Why is this, should this be something that's alive in us and that we tell others about? Is because now... The border between us and God has been, the chasm has been bridged. See, the, we were no longer, we used to not have access, and now we have direct access. Why can we this morning gather collectively and experience and encounter the presence of God, even in our imperfect state? It's because what happened 2,000 years ago is Jesus suffered and Jesus died so that you and I can stand here this morning and sing and encounter God's presence and sit under the authority of Scripture and encounter God's presence and encourage one another and pray for one another. Not void of power, but full of the presence of God. That's what you're witnesses to. That's one of the things. How are you guys doing? All right, let's keep going. So, 
You're my witnesses not only to the fact that Jesus suffered and died, but this is the biggest one. The biggest one is that Jesus rose from the dead. I hope you're picking up on this. So if I'm saying, hey guys, you're supposed to be witnesses, it's not like five point, three point sermon that you got to go tomorrow and go, Jesus, da da da, Jesus, da da da, do you want to become a Christian? That's not how we do that, okay? It's supposed to be alive in us. Natural conversation, okay? So Jesus rose from the dead. And this is the foundation of our faith. If this never happened, if this, I was watching, guess what I was watching yesterday? Lord of the Rings yesterday, okay? I was, who said woo? All right, that's right, brother. Did we just become best friends right now? Um, there's a part in, the, in, the, in the, the, the beginning where you hear this narration, and it talks about the ring. And it, something of truth became myth. And myth became fable, right? I'm probably messing that up. But. And I think that's what we do with our faith is, yeah, that was a story a long time ago, and we, we've heard it passed down from generation to generation, but it's kind of lost its potency, and it's more of an idea uh, instead of a reality that we're confronted with. And what Paul tells us, well, let's just read it. He says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 12, talking about us and our relationship to what it means to be under the, the power of a risen Christ. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as rise from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in what? Vain. And your faith is in what? Vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that He raised Christ, whom He did not raise, if it is true that, he, that the dead are not raised. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. Verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished, and here it is, in Verse 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Friends, if the resurrection didn't happen, we should just go home right now. Right? I could go get fajitas right now. Or fish tacos across the street. Pretty good. There's more pressing things that I should do than spend an hour and a half on a Sunday morning and listen to a story that has no relevance to my life. And Jesus tells His disciples, your witness is not only of my suffering and my death, but my resurrection. And if this isn't alive in us every single day, what in the heck are we doing as Christians? This is an Easter sermon. I get it. But we're the Easter people. The Easter people live the Easter message every single day. It's not once a year. It's every single day of our lives. What, what does it mean that Christ is resurrected? It's not only that when He died, sin and death died with Him, but when He was resurrected, hope and joy was risen again for us in this life now. In this life now. 
And in spite of our circumstances, when we, go through, when we go through suffering and trouble and hardships, it gives us an eternal hope. It gives us something that we know that cannot be taken away from us, that Jesus is going to come back, we're going to read here in a moment, that, that I, can, I can look to Jesus while all hell is breaking loose in my life. And I can still have hope, and I can still have joy, and I can still have meaning, and I can still have purpose. And when we're witnessing, and you're, the people in your life say, man, life sucks. Man, I think I just want, I have no hope. I have nothing to look forward to. My, my kids don't listen to me anymore. My finances are, my job seems like this. The economy, COVID's had its way. You go, guess what? Yes, those are all reality. But what is actually true in the midst of that, let me tell you, friend, there's hope that you can have. There's hope to be found. And it's a hope that cannot be taken away from you. It's a hope that doesn't uh, come under subject from rust and moth and all the elements. It's a hope that stands untarnished. It's a hope that will never go away. Is that hope is in Jesus. Well, Jesus was a good dude. Are you telling me i got to follow a faith and do all these rules? No! This hope is based on a resurrection. That's based on the fact that sin and death are dead now. All right. I'm running out of time. Let me take a break. Number three. Not only... Did Jesus suffer and die? Not only did he rise from the grave, but he says, Luke tells us here, that Jesus is the forgiveness of sin for all people, for all nations. Jesus is the forgiveness of sin for all people, all nations. Now, here's, here's something that your, your friends and colleagues, if you want to win friends and influence people, as Dale Carnegie says, this is probably not the best way to do it. But the reality is, in order for there to be good news, there has to be what? There's bad news. And the reality is, there is bad news. And the bad news is that we are sinners. The Bible tells us that we are born with what's called an inherent sinful nature. That means Adam and Eve, mostly Eve, I mean, the Bible says she's the one that did it. But in our great-grandparents, you know, I got light brown eyes from my mom. I got a little bit of Asian eyes from my dad. Got these giant muscles from I don't know who, somebody. I inherited certain qualities from my parents. And every single human being that was ever born and will ever be born inherited sin. It's just the truth. It's the reality. And because we've all inherited sin, we have a problem. Your witnesses, friends, to the fact what Luke tells us, how Jesus told them, is that you are witnesses to the redemption the redemptive beauty and nature of what Jesus did on the cross. And see, it wasn't just for these elect group of people who considered themselves like the real cool guys who know mostly things about God. And they grew up in culture and a society and even their, their ethnicity would say to be 
this ethnicity, you understand these truths about God. No, it's not just for these like kind of high up, really well-to-do kind of people. It's for every single person. It's for the people who would say, I don't care about your God. It's for the people who don't even have one understanding about who the real God is. It's about the people who were born in socioeconomic classes that would look, other people would look down upon their noses on. It's for the people, even on the other side of that, who were even super more religious and think they had it all together. And the Bible would say, oh, your religion is nothing. Your religion is filthy rags. It was for every single person ever born on the planet that God would choose and God would decide to pour his love and his loving kindness of forgiveness upon. It's good news. It's good news for all of us. And whether you say, well, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I fit into that category. I want to tell you, the fact that you are here this morning listening to a sermon about how God loves you and how there's good news for you and in, in spite of your sin, that God wants to give you a remedy for that sin is the fact that God is wooing you. Is the fact that God is speaking to you this morning. It's not, did you say it's not by circumstance or happenstance that, God, that you're here this morning? It's not. See, as Christians, we believe in the providence of God. That God holds all things together. That the little piece of dust, or maybe even more importantly, the spit that flies out of my mouth that you see when I'm preaching, God somehow knows about that and ordained that. When the sun is rising, that's ordained. When the sun is rising... It's setting somewhere else. And God is holding all those things together. The colors of the sun and it's orange and yellow and purple, all of those things, so that we would reflect and go, God, you're amazing. God is involved in all of that. And so if you're sitting here this morning going, that's just a story. It's not just a story. It has meaning for your life this morning because God has wooed you to himself because he wants to reveal the nature of the cross to you, that he suffered, he died, he rose again, and that he is the redemption of sin for you, no matter what you have done, no matter, your, what, no matter what you're thinking about doing in the future, it doesn't matter. He is your hope, and he will rescue you. All you have to do is say, yes, God, I want to be a disciple. I'll say what, I'll do whatever you want. That's how it works. And if friends, we are supposed to be witnesses of these things. We are supposed to carry these things in our hearts. One for us, because as Christians, the world's going all around us, and we go, like, like squirrel, right? And then we go over here and we catch this thing. Or, oh, oh, what was me? And then Jesus says, come, come back. Let me remind you that you are a witness of what these things have already been done in you. They can't be taken away from you. And then, therefore, go out and tell other people about these beautiful things. All right, we're almost done. <sighs> Number four. Jesus ascended into heaven. This is what Luke let me just go back to there again. Luke chapter, um, where are we? 24. Uh, the last part, let me just read it. It says this, verse 50. Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Imagine being blessed by Jesus in the person. Like if Jesus were here right now, I'd just like lose it, right? Just, you know, I okay, let's not get off tangents this morning. Keep it together, people. Uh, then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. Verse 51. While he blessed them, he parted from them and was carried up to heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Everybody say great joy. Great joy. 
uh, and we're continuing in the temple, say, blessing God. All right, that was like three of you guys did that. Good job. All right. Ascension into heaven. This, I think, friends, is a portion of our faith that we just kind of go, yeah, that happened. And I think we need to allow this to be part of our witness story. You know I'm going to do it, but I'm going to do it. All right? Lord of the Rings, at the end of the story, Frodo Baggins. Frodo Baggins. Gandalf and Bilbo. They leave. And they go to the Grey Havens. They get on the boats. And if you watch the movie, the music is, you know. (laughs) Samwise, Merry Pippin. They're here and they are crying. They're bawling their eyes out because their best friends are leaving. They're super sad. And I, I watch that and I, it's like someone's dying. I think Tolkien's trying to like write this idea of someone passing and going to live in heaven. And, you know, even with my own dad passing, I feel the pain of that, right? You feel like if you've had a loved one die, it is sad. It's sad. And it's interesting here how Scripture talks about how the disciples, you would think it would be as Jesus ascended, they were weeping, like snot bubble kind of stuff, right? Like, Jesus, where are you going? You're leaving us. But it says something quite the opposite. It says that they were worshiping and they're full of joy. And I think, friends, there's something of the truth of the ascended Jesus into heaven that we don't understand the implications of. And I think there, there's, a, there's a few of them. But one is, this ascension into heaven for Christ was proclamation and confirmation of his identity. See, in order to go back to heaven, and as Scripture tells us, to be seated at the right hand of the Father, only the King of kings can do such a thing. Only the Lord of lords can do such a thing. And if we try to make Jesus out of the best of us, he was like the best guy that ever lived, and so we try to model our life like WWJD, right? That's like, some of you might have that here this morning. I want to say, cool, um, but there's so much more to the gospel than just doing what Jesus did. See, that's kind of a moralistic understanding. What we're supposed to do is put our hope in a person, And this person that we put our hope in not only suffered and died and then rose again from the grave and then took upon himself our sin and made us right with God, but he also ascended into the heavenly places where he is seated and being worshipped and being glorified as not the best of us, not the really good prophet which other religions uh, uh, give him accolades about. Oh, he was a good dude. No, see, He is worshipped and glorified as God. And for him to uh, arise and go into heaven was confirmation for these disciples who may have had even a little bit of doubt. Because why? I've seen Lazarus raised from the grave. Normal humans, I've seen this. Supernatural things happen around me. But for someone to ascend and be seated at the right hand of the Father means that Jesus is who he said he is. When you start to doubt, when you start to have fear, when you start to listen to your circumstances over the truth of who Jesus is, you need to remind yourself 
that Jesus has ascended. And you know what one of the beautiful things is? Uh, we said it last week. Jeff said it this morning about the scars that Jesus has. See, he's fully man, and his, in his fully manness, he bears the marks of the cross. Because why? You and I doubt if we've really been forgiven, don't we? Because we've had bad days. You go, mm, I don't know if God can forgive me of that one. And Jesus goes, talk to the hand, and then we see this hole in there. And we go, oh yeah, I've been forgiven. Oh yeah, it's been paid for. It bears the marks. You know, that's not just for us personally. That's for when somebody sins against us. Did you know that? Your sin is not, your, your salvation is not just personal for your sin. It's also so that you don't have to be a victim anymore. You, you, like somebody hurt my feelings really bad. Well, how you relate and how you react to that depends on whether you understand what Jesus did on the cross for you. <laughs> You'll be all offended. And I'm going to Facebook, Instagram, text, revenge, all this kind of stuff, let you know how hurt I am. Or you could go, thank you, Jesus, that what was done to me, you absorbed as well. Right? You know the other implication about Jesus ascending into heaven? is the Scripture tells us that He makes intercession for us. He doesn't stop interceding for us. What does intercede mean? It means to stand in this gap. But He does it in prayer. Isn't that... It should blow your mind that Jesus is going to the Father and He's reminding the Father and He's praying for us and He's empowering us and he's speci- He personally is doing for that. He's doing that right now for us. Jesus, who shouldn't have to do anything, who should be kicking up on a lazy boy, drinking a big gulp, doing whatever He wants because He's the dude, and He's saying, I will still stand in the gap. The ascended Christ. Why are they joyful? Why are they worshiping? Because this is the confirmation that Jesus is who he said he is. Good news for you and me. All right. You guys all right? Last one. We normally only have three. Today you get bonus. We get five today. Number five. Oh, and by the way, Jesus ascending, it's, the Bible tells us he's preparing a place for us. Woo! I often go on Zillow. And what's the red one? Redfin. And I fantasize. Whitefish, Montana. Oh, yeah. 200 acres. There's a river going through this property. It's only $5 million, but it's amazing. Oh, man, Jesus is in heaven. Preparing a place for you, it's going to be better than what you could ever imagine, what you could hope for. I don't know how that works. I really don't, but I know it's happening. All right, number five, and then this is where we got to come to, is Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. Man, don't you want to see, don't you want to see this world be made right? Don't you feel the, the pain, the suffering? The anguish, I mean, you see what's going on in the world, and it's nothing new, right? We've always had this, but it just feels like, I don't know, maybe I'm just getting old. It feels like, holy cow, this is exponential. The world has lost its mind. Everything that is evil is being declared as good. 
and everything that is good is being declared evil, and everything is just upside down, and it's in the church. I'm like, I'm like Lord Jesus, come, purify your church. Jesus, bring us back to Scripture. Like, I just, you, don't you feel it? You feel a brokenness? I mean, as I get older, there's like parts of my body that, like I was laying on the couch, and I go, babe, listen. I said, it does that every time. Right? Lord, what in the heck? Well, for a, a, a disciple of Jesus, we're not, we're, we have to live in this already, not yet, right? What, what, uh, the Bible tells us that the kingdom of God has come, but the fullness of the kingdom of God is not fully here. And so we live kind of like on a tightrope where we're moments where God heals and, he, and the kingdom of God comes in its fullness and then there's moments where we're like, yes, I'm on planet earth, right? But thankfully, scripture doesn't just say, hey, suck it up, buttercup, right? I mean, it does tell us that sometimes, okay? It does say, like, just keep looking at Jesus. But as you look to Jesus, let, let, let's point to scripture to give us some hope as we look to, to Jesus. This is what Paul writes to a group of people called the Thessalonians, and these, these people were going through some hard times, and it was a church, and Paul is writing to them, and he's trying to encourage them, and this is what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And it's always read at funerals, at a Christian funeral, with good reason. But here's what he says, verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep, those who have died. Verse 15. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from the heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, here's what we're doing right now, that we're going to do the therefore. Encourage one another with these words. Paul writes this some 2,000 years ago. We get to have the privilege this morning to understand this truth, live on the other side of this truth that Jesus has risen from the grave, and have Paul's words to encourage one another this morning to say, friends, we are not just witnesses of a suck it up buttercup kind of faith. We are witnesses of a faith that says, you have a hope, and it's not just right now for this moment, but it's a hope that is coming. I think our family is going to go to Disneyland in September. Hopefully. I think something's getting getting arranged, you know? And we have a friend who works there, and he's getting like three or four of our kids in, and then we're going to be like paying the different, you know. And part of me has feel, I love Disneyland. I don't know about y'all, but I love it. I, I mean, I went through a stage where I hated it. I remember being like 18, going there and just sitting there and be like, this is so stupid, right? This is for little kids. Now that I'm, I don't know, I've gotten over my cynicism. I love it. It's like, there's Ariel, you know, and I don't know, whatever. Not Ariel. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> but I have this hope that I'm like, man, we're going to go to Disney. 
What a stupid thing to put hope in. Because I know it's going to be hot. There's going to be lines. It's going to be like, it was this or college, kids. Which one do you want, right? I, there's all of that. But there's part of me that goes, man, this is going to be fun. How much more Jesus returning gives me hope that, yes, clickety-clack, clickety-clack. One day, it may not be here. I, Lord, please, but it may not be here. I know that I'll have a glorified body. I know that all the wrong will be righted. I know that everything that the world says is evil as good and good as evil, that's all going to be, there's going to be no contest because the Bible says every knee shall bow, every tongue confess, whether they've done that willingly or unwillingly, that Christ is Lord and that there will be peace, shalom, over all of the universe, over all of creation, over every heart and every mind. Everything will be brought to justice. You want justice right now? We're longing to see justice in the world. That is true justice. Where God will say, I establish myself and the fullness of my kingdom will be implemented everywhere. There will not be a heart that will remain stone anymore. There will be all hearts that will be turned to flesh. Hallelujah. So when you're having a hard time, and we all get them, put your hope in the fact Jesus is coming back. And if that scares you, and you're, and you're identifying as a Christian, man, I'd say, man, you're a deformed Christian. You don't really understand the beauty of Jesus coming back. And if it scares you and you're not a Christian, I hope that puts the scare in you. Because the Bible does say it'll be a great day, but it also says it'll be a terrible day. Because God is powerful. God is omnipotent. God is in all control. It says when Jesus comes back, his eyes are going to be like, flaming. He's going to have a, a robe that will be dipped in blood. That's weird. No, it's not, because it represents all of the victories that he has won over every enemy of God. It says he's going to have a tattoo. Yeah, that's right, tattooed. Luke, he's going to be like Luke. He's going to look like Luke Vargas. He's going to have tattoos. It's a king of kings and lord of lords. And he's going to come back, and his steed's going to be a... That's steam coming out of the... All right. Oh my gosh. All right. You guys have two minutes left in you? <laughs> I want to give us some practicals real quick. Practicals. Hopefully, as I'm, as I'm preaching to you this morning, the Holy Spirit's stirring in you some hope. And I know that there's circumstances in this room that would say, uh-uh. And remember, we're just normal people, and God is God, and he wants to use normal people, and he sees you, and hopefully this stirs up, not only for yourself, but to be able to go out, and somebody who's not a believer in your life, you, you know, you're going to be able to say, this is a hope in me. I, I don't know all the right things to say, but I know I have a hope, and let me try to tell you the best I can about this hope, right? Um, so some practicals in that. Number one. Notice he says, we are witnesses, we're not judges, okay? A witness, all a witness does is tell what they've seen. That's what you're doing. You're telling what you've seen. You're not, we're not witnesses of moralism. We're not witnesses of Southland's Chino. We're not witnesses of a faith, per se. 
Yes, we went because you, but what I'm saying is you need to become a Christian. And when you become a Christian, you need to do this, this, and this, and then God will love you. That's not what we're talking about. And how dare you think that this is okay? Well, I'm going to get in Facebook arguments. Bull, just stop it. Witness is to be a witness. Somebody says, what did you see? This is what I saw. What happened to you? This is what happened to me. That's probably the biggest, strongest argument. I once was blind, now I see. How did you get your sight back? That's impossible. Well, let me tell you about somebody who does miracles, right? All right, so we're witnesses, we're not judges. Number two, we're just, I already said, we're telling a story. Now, let me just unpack that a little bit. Your story matters. My story is different than yours. My story is I grew up in a Christian home. Thank God for that. But in spite of me growing up with Christian parents in a Christian home, I came, through God's grace, a realization I still needed saving. I went to a Christian school that taught me this is what it means to follow Jesus. And I did all the good things. And I remember being around junior high age where God rocked my bell. He said, you don't know me. But I did it, no, 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 you don't know me. And in spite of all my good things, God rescued me. You might be on the other side of that. You've done all the bad things, and God rescued you. Your story, my story is not better than anybody else's. Tell your story. Your story matters. All right? And then number three, we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. If you were to continue reading, you would see Luke, the same author of Acts. He talks about how they're all standing watching Jesus go up like this. Right? And then two angels go, what the heck are you guys looking at? And they're like, I don't know, I could still see. He's getting smaller and smaller. They're like, listen, he's not here anymore. Like, he's, he's in heaven, so go. And, and so then they remember what Jesus said. Let's wait. And they go in this room, and then all of a sudden, all this crazy stuff starts happening, and it's the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And then in this moment, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them, boldness fills their hearts. And then all of the truth that Jesus has said, they, rem they remember it. Peter preaches a sermon. 3,000 people one day come to Jesus. 3,000. Why? Because Peter was amazing? Nope. Because the power of the Holy Spirit rested on them. It says, you're my witnesses, not in your own strength, but in the power. And friends, I get it. It takes a lot of courage to be a witness today, right? The world does not, we're not just not thought of anymore as a church, as irrelevant. We are now thought of as antagonistic, and we are thought of as the problem. But some of us act like we're in witness protection program. I'm scared. I'm scared. What, what if this person says something mean, or I get canceled, or you know, all of the realities of today? Trust in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're not bold, it's because you need the Holy Spirit. To, when the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is so much more than goosebumps for a meeting. Good Lord. The Holy Spirit is to empower us and to embolden us to be on mission because we can't do it in our own strength and our own power. All right. We got to end. I got more, but we got to end. Let's stand.